chapter 7 and verse 12. And as we read this, it may not make a lot of sense right away, and we're not going to jump into it. I'm going to start somewhere else, but we're going to end uh, over here in this. And uh, But I just have to make sure that, that I'm in the midst of people who have been blessed by God's presence and blessed by God, uh, His power, because we serve a great God. And... Um, Second Samuel, first Samuel, rather, first Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. And then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpath and Shen. And there, I'm reading from the King James, because I wanted to see exactly how it said it versus the English standard that I have in front of me. And it says, and he called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Hitherto has the Lord helped us. I don't know how, and let me just ask you, any of you familiar with an Ebenezer stone? Have you ever heard that phrase before? Most of you probably have not. Some of you may have. Those of you that listen to, to Joy uh, FM, you'll, you'll get to hear that. Um, uh, David Crowder kind of made it famous along with, I believe, Chris Tomlin, the song that says, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Somewhere, that's not the way the song was originally written. But somewhere uh, later on after the original hymn was done, they, the second verse says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this Ebenezer stone. But in order to do that, I just feel compelled to start over in the book of Matthew and then we'll, we'll get back uh, to this place. Uh, you can be seated. I want the word of God to speak to you and I hope that you're ready to receive it. And, uh, but let me start here in the book of Matthew. You know, I, I love reading the Gospels because they play out as a timeline of Jesus' uh, walk here on earth and his miraculous time that he was. You find in the book of Matthew chapter 14, towards the end of it, you find this, this story that I believe anyone that has any knowledge of the Bible is most likely familiar with. That he goes ashore and a great crowd follow, follows him and he has compassion on this crowd. He's healing their sick. He's, he's doing what he's here to do. He's, he's reaching them. But they were out in the middle of nowhere. In fact, the Bible says it was a desolate place and the day was getting towards the end and the disciples came to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, why don't you let them go? I mean, as long as you're here, they're going to stay here. As long as you're healing them, you know, they're not going to leave. But you know what? We're hungry. They're hungry. There's nothing to eat. There's no restaurants around here. There's no place to go. Why don't you send them home and let them go away and, and buy some food for themselves? Lest you think the disciples were trying to be nice to those crowds, it really was personal. They were hungry and they were tired. and They don't always get Jesus' works uh, right away, and so they were kind of done. But Jesus said, no, they don't have to go away. You can give them something to eat. And, and if you read various... Uh, accounts of this in the Gospels, you'll find that, I believe it was Andrew that went and found the little boy that had uh, a little, some fish and uh, two fish and five loaves and there he is, they have this one lunch, these were not, you know, five pound, ten pound catfish, these were little fish that was just enough for one little boy. His mom that morning probably packed his lunch and said, you know what, this is for you and, and, and when you get hungry you can eat it and then when you're done you can come home and Jesus looks at that, he takes that, he says, bring it here to me. He gets everybody to sit down in that crowd. He gathers them down. He, he takes the fish, the, two lo the five loaves, the two fish. He, he looks into heaven. He says a blessing. He breaks it. He gives it to the disciples and they go 
and they distribute it out. And you have this cool uh, kind of ending of that story. It says that when they were done, they ate everything and they were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men beside the women and children. That's why we typically say he fed the 10,000. Figure there was, had to be about that many women and children as well. Now that would have been a, a miracle all by itself. To be able to sit there and watch Jesus take a little lunch and feed 10,000 people. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. But then you get to chapter 15. Now the book of Matthew is written chronologically. I don't think a ton of time has transpired between the ending of Matthew chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 records in verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in this desolate place to feed such great a crowd? Now, can I just help you out or you help me out maybe? If, I don't know, and, and again, there are smarter people here that perhaps have, have studied this out. You can ask them, but I don't know, maybe a week or two has transpired. Now, I, I have a bad memory. My brain doesn't always work the way it should, and I forget things. But I'm kind of thinking that it wouldn't be very hard to forget a time when Jesus, in the middle of nowhere, took five loaves and two fishes, broke the bread, and fed 10,000 people, and they had 12 baskets full remaining. I'm guessing that's not something that easily leaves your consciousness. Right? Now here we are, just a few days later, maybe a week or so, I don't know, but here they are, they're in the same place, and Jesus says, you know what, they've been with me three days, I'm sure they're hungry, let's feed them, and what do the disciples say? We don't have anything. They're, it's desolate. We're out in the middle of nowhere, the stores are closed, the restaurants are closed. And you would think that the disciples would go, well, you know what, a couple weeks ago you did this, can you do it again? The disciples even said, we have seven loaves and a few fish. And it still didn't register with them. Until finally Jesus says, give it to me. Jesus takes that. This is a separate story. It's not the same. It's a separate story. And Jesus takes that. He directs the crowd to sit down. And he takes the seven loaves and the fish. He gives thanks. He breaks them. He gives them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds. They ate and they were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets of broken pieces left over. And those were there were about 4,000 men besides women and children. And then you turn one page, at least in my Bible, it's one page. You turn to, to Matthew chapter 16. 14, they feeds 5,000 men. 15, he feeds 4,000 men. Now we're in chapter 16, and the disciples, they've reached the other side, and they had forgotten to bring any bread. Now again, maybe a lot of days have passed. The way I read my Bible, uh, at least here, doesn't tell me that a lot of days have passed. What happened to the seven baskets of bread they took up when they fed the 4,000? I have no idea. But now they're on a boat. They had forgotten to bring bread, and they were discussing among themselves, we have no bread, we are hungry. Now Jesus takes that, that period right there, uh, takes that time 
to, to talk to them and talk to them about the leaven of the Pharisees. And I'm going to digress from there now. But three chapters and the disciples were hungry for bread. I'm just curious in our life if that ever becomes us. That God has done something miraculous in our life. And, and we celebrate the feeding of the 10,000 with five loaves and two fishes. And, and we, 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 we enjoy it. We partake of it. There's even extra remaining when it's done. But just a few days later, we find ourselves needing the provision of God. And we somehow have this, this lapse of, of, of consciousness. And we go, God, how are you going to do it now? How in the world are you going to meet my need now? I just wonder if Jesus ever just looked at them and said, you're an idiot. Are you serious? Do you not remember what I did a week or so ago? Do you not remember how I fed them? And still you can't figure out that I can supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. And so... They're standing there, what are, wringing their hands, what do we do? And I just have this feeling that ever so often in our own lives, mine included, we get to the place where we say, God, what are you going to do? How in the world are you going to accomplish this? And I wonder if Jesus kind of taps us on the back of the head and says, do you remember what I did last week? Do you remember how I helped you last year? Do you remember when you were a teenager and you prayed and I answered your prayer? I haven't changed. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I haven't brought you this far to throw you away. If I could do it then, I could do it now. Sometimes you need to just kind of shake yourself, look back in your past and say, the Lord has been with me through every walk of my life. Y'all getting there a little bit. Can I even be so bold as to say this? Not only is the Lord with you when you're walking with him, but God has kept you from some things that you got yourself into. And even though you had to fight some battles and you had to face some consequences, you can still say that the Lord was there when he didn't have to be there. Sometimes we need to look back and see what God has done. I'm convinced the reason we don't pray a lot now is because we haven't done enough reminiscing and remembering what God could do. Why do you go to your, those of you that have your grandparents and, 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 and I, maybe it's just me and maybe I'm, I'm selfish and I'm horrible and I'm a horrible person, Sister Stacy. I don't know, but as long as my grandparents were alive and they, they passed away this last year, so that was, I was 37 years old. For 37 years, I knew if I went to my grandma and said, could I have some money? I'm not saying go and get a car payment from them. But you know, sometimes I'd say, hey grandma, I'm, I'm going to the store. I'm going to get some ice cream. You want any? It wasn't because I wanted to get her ice cream. It's because I knew she'd reach in that pocket and she'd say, would you get me some too? I'm smart that way. You know why I could ask her? Because she never failed me. <laughs> I remembered all the other times she used to bless me. I remember all the other times she used to hand me some ice cream money. And I'm okay at 37 years old for getting ice cream money, okay? If, if y'all aren't and y'all have gotten too big, go for it. I'm good, but I'm all right with ice cream money. 
But, but it's something about it. When, when, I, when I kneel down to pray, there's a lot of times that I have needs. There's a lot of times that I have situations. But I have tried my very best to take some time in every prayer to look back at what God has done because it helps me pray effectively now. This is where we get to this Ebenezer stone. And, and give me just a moment to, to, to take you back. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and, and I'm not going to read it or quote from it, but if you have your Bibles, it would be good for you to, to turn to uh, the book of, of 1 Samuel chapter 3 if you want to just kind of quickly skim and follow it along. We're introduced to Samuel, uh, in the books of Samuel, we're introduced to the, the high priest Levi, and, or, or uh, Eli rather, Eli, and, and there, and of course we know that Samuel's Parents couldn't have kids, and his mom prayed and said, if you'll give me a child, I'll, I'll give him back to you. And so Hannah was able to conceive, and, and they brought little Samuel uh, to the temple, and little Sam, Samuel lived his life, or at least his, his, his teenage life there in the temple. But the sons of Eli were worthless men. In fact, the Bible uh, says there in chapter 3 that they did not know the Lord. They, they used their position as priests. They, they used it to, to put bribes. They used it to get things. It was customary that when they, you would come and you would bring your offering to the, to the temple and you or the tabernacle and you would offer up your sacrifice, that there was a pot there in the, in the temple that would be boiling and they would put meat in there. And uh, it was part of a, a worship to the Lord. But it was told all the way back in Moses' law that there was a, a three-pronged uh, fork or hook that those priests could dip down into that, that boiling meat and whatever they could bring up with that one three-pronged hook, that's what they could eat that day. And obviously, if you've ever boiled meat, you know it breaks apart, it shreds. And, and what it was is it was just kind of telling the priest that, hey, I'll take care of you. You don't have to get a whole bunch. It kind of harkens back to the manna uh, that fell there in their time in the wilderness. You know, get just enough for that day and, and just trust me that I'll provide for you tomorrow. But the priests, those uh, Hopni and Phineas, they, they, they had kind of corrupted what was going on. They would wait till people were lining up with their, with their offerings and they would say, hey, before you give that offering, I need to do something to it. And they'd cut the, the back strap off that, that, the filet mignon. They would get all the good parts of the meat that they wanted. And they were cheating God and they were robbing people. They were worthless people. Eli tried his best to rebuke his sons and they didn't listen. And so it was that the Lord left them alone. Just kind of said, I'm, I'm done with you. The Philistines begin to come into the town and, and into Israel and they're destroying it and they're, they're, they're just, every day they're fighting these battles and finally there's this huge array of Philistines that comes against Israel. And Hopni and Phinehas in their, uh, their, their state, they said, you know what, if we'll go get the Ark of the Covenant from behind the veil, and if we'll carry it into battle, then I have heard that God, you know, way back in the, in the wilderness, they would carry the ark into battle, and God would fight their battles for them, and we would do that. So let's do the same. The problem is this, and this will preach all by itself. If you steal from God, he's not going to bless you just because you have the ark. If you're stealing from God, he's not going to bless you just because you go and, and, and try to get something that looks like it would work in the past. And so they bring out the ark and they go to the Philistines. The Philistines get a little scared because they have heard the stories. But 
It doesn't work out the way the Israelites think it's going to work out. The Philistines swarm. They capture the ark. Hopna and Phinehas are dead. Eli, uh, or, uh, Eli falls back and breaks his neck. And, and, and it's just it's awful times for the children of Israel. For almost 20 years, probably over 20 years, the ark is on a journey and, and then it sits at a house because nobody wants to touch it. The Philistines took it to their camp and, and their gods fell over, their idols fell in front of the ark and busted and so the Philistines uh, said we got to send it back. They got plagues and awful things you can read about in the Bible that happened to the Philistines and so they sent it back and, and it got to one house and they looked at it and they did things that they weren't supposed to do because the Ark of the Covenant had a, a, a symbolic holiness to it and you, you couldn't just touch it any old way you wanted to touch it and people died at that house and so they sent it to the next house and they stuck it in the attic and they ignored it for 20 years. For 20 years the children of Israel lamented and sought the Lord. And we get to chapter 7 in 1 Samuel. And Samuel is now the, the, uh, the priest. He's also fulfilling the role of prophet. Samuel is an incredible figure in Scripture. And Samuel says to the house of Israel, If you're returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asheroth that's among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the people of Israel put away the Baals and put away the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, I want you to gather all of Israel to Mizpah and I will pray the Lord for you. And they gathered there and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. And the Philistines heard that the people had gathered at Mizpah. The Lord to the Philistines went up against Israel and Israel heard of it and they were afraid. When they were afraid, they said to the Samuel, they said, they said, what are we going to do? Please don't stop crying out to the Lord, our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel and the Lord answered him. And Samuel was, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offerings, the Philistines drew near to attack the Israelites, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. It was an incredible battle. In fact, as far as I can tell, this so soundly defeated the Philistines that although they would, they would be a scourge to, to Saul, King Saul and David had his run in with the Philistines, never again after this did the Philistines ever come close to defeating the Israelites. It was an incredible victory. And so Samuel takes a stone. There in between Mizpah and Shannon, he, he raises this stone and he calls its name Ebenezer. And he says, for till now, the Lord has helped us. Now, let me play devil's advocate for just a moment. There were some that could have said, I don't understand, Samuel. The Lord hasn't always helped us. Why, let's go back 20-something years ago, and you'll find that there was another battle with the Philistines, and they stole our ark, and we were defeated, and we lived in fear for 20 years. And, and so how can you say, Samuel, that from here to now, the Lord has helped us. I wonder if that's been the uh, 
thoughts of some of us today. You hear people preach that the Lord will be with you. You hear people preach that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You hear sermons preached, but yet in the back of your mind, you have looked at certain circumstances in your life, and you've not seen the hand of the Lord there, and so you've used that to say, well, God just isn't always here for me. But yet that stone remains. It's the only time that we see that stone in scripture, there were other monuments that were erected. There were other things that, that people put up. But this is the only one there. It's the fact that it was the, the, the here to now, the Lord has helped us. I would like to tell you today that God is not bound to provide for you just because you're you. I know there's a lot of people that preach different things and there's a lot of things that say if you'll do this, God's bound to bless you. If you'll say this prayer, God has to do this. And if you'll give this much money, God will do this. And if you'll turn around three times, God is bound to bless you. Let me just help you out first off. God is not bound to do anything for you. You didn't wake up this morning and have God behind, you know, you know, uh, have God all tied up and, and he has to help you. That's not how it works. That's why Eli's sons, Hopna and Phineas, thought they could twist God. They thought they could uh, uh, get God's attention by bringing out the ark. But I want to tell you, the trappings of church alone are not going to save you. The pomp and the circumstance of some wordy prayer is not what gets God's attention. Just because you've seen somebody else carry an ark and get a blessing doesn't mean you can go pick up an ark and carry it and God will bless you. It's usually something behind that ark, not the ark itself. I would tell you today that when Samuel looked at the Israelites, he told them to do four things. Those four things was a type of repentance. He says, let me help you out. If you will return to the Lord with all of your heart, if you will remove the foreign gods from among you, if you will direct your hearts to the Lord, and if you will serve Jehovah God alone, if you'll do that, then God will be with you. Now I understand the, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that God has, that, that, that through the sacrifice of Jesus, read Hebrews, read Galatians, I understand there's a lot of, of things in the Old Testament that have passed on. We, we don't do those anymore because they have been done away with by the blood of Jesus Christ. But there is something that you find in Deuteronomy and that is that, Deut that in Deuteronomy God said, if you'll serve me, if you'll trust me, if you'll live for me, if you'll direct your attention to me, I will be with you. And if you don't, I won't be with you. This Ebenezer stone was more than just a stone erected for that one miracle. This Ebenezer stone was not erected just to remind them that the Philistines were defeated there at Mizpah. In fact, this stone was more than that. This stone represented, it said, that here to now, from the beginning of time till now, the Lord has helped us. Can I tell you today that I'm reminded of an old song. We don't sing it a lot, although 
I, I like it, and every once in a while it comes across on my radio station that I've programmed in, in my Google Play. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide thy, myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riverside which flowed be of sin the double cure and save from wrath and make me pure. It is not a stretch to look at the rock that, that Samuel erected there in Mizpah, that Ebenezer stone. It is not a stretch to use that as a type of Christ and say that right now Christ is my rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You can look through uh, the Word of God. There's not a chance I have time today to go through it all, but you can look at the Word of God and find all of the, the references to Jesus, our rock. You can find all of the times that he has been your stone of help. And when you have faced the opposition of Satan and when you have faced the naysayers that would tell you it's never going to happen, you'll find that in that God has fought with you and God has fought beside you and God has fought before you and he has helped you. There has been a lot of battles. There's been a lot of enemies. There's been a lot of things in you. But somebody needs to look back and say, as long as I have walked with the Lord, and as long as I have tried to put my faith in God I can look back and say he's never left me nor forsaken me he is my Ebenezer stone here to now he's helped me even when I've messed up he's been there some of you ought to have died through all the stuff you've done in your past some of you ought to have been six feet under right now and not have a chance of repentance and not have a chance of God's mercy. But the Bible tells me that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises but is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Sometimes even in the midst of your own sin, he has helped you. He didn't approve of it, but he helped you out of it. He was a rock. He was a rock. Now I could... I could preach and, and, and get on it and, and we can start talking about and just look back in the past and we can celebrate all the victories that God has done. But I would like to tell you that that stone is not merely representative of the past victories that God has done in your life. In fact, I would go so far as to tell you that if you were only existing on your past victories, you're starving to death. That's why I get a little concerned when I talk to people and the only thing they can tell me about God's provision in their life is something that happened 20 years ago. I don't deny that power. I don't deny that miracle and I'm thankful for it. But hey, I need a God that's working right now. Not a God of the good old days. Not a God of that good old time religion. Not a God of my, of my yesteryears. Not even a God of my father or my grandfather. But I need a God that's able to do something right now on February the 4th, 2018 in my struggles, in my provisions, in my time. Can I tell you that stone that they erected not only reminded them of their past, but it needed to remind them of their present. Because the Bible says that when God thundered down, and oh, I wish I could have been there. 
somewhere God directed the sound system of heaven towards those Philistine army encampments. And whatever he pumped through that scared those Philistines so bad that they began to kill each other and run away so that the children of Israel could defeat them as they were retreating. He was not just the God of yesterday, but he was God of right now. But there's another thing that connects the Ebenezer Stone. And that is, he is not only the God of yesterday. Not only is he the God of right now, but he's the God of your tomorrows. They didn't catch it right away. But the Bible says that it, Philistine was soundly defeated. And again, the Bible says, in fact, let me, let me read it to you. So Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called his name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter again into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered the territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace also between Israel and the Ammonites. He was the God of the tomorrows. Never again would you find the Philistines overtaking the Israelites in that manner again. Maybe it was that and, and don't get me wrong, there were times the Philistines came against it. That's the whole David and Goliath story. But I just wonder, and, and I have no Bible for this whatsoever, but I wonder if even during those times, somebody might pass by that Ebenezer stone and say, you know, the Lord here defeated the Philistines soundly. Those Philistines are starting to rumble. They're starting to raise up a little bit. They're starting to push back. I'm going to take a walk by that, that stone that represented what God did in the past. And I need God to do it today. And I need God to do it tomorrow. I wonder what Ebenezer stones God has allowed you to erect in your life. Would you stand with me today? The worship that we give Him and the praise that we give Him is not just so that we can shout for the past victories, but those past victories ought to uphold you when the going gets tough right now. You got to look back over your life. Now some of you, you've told me your testimonies and when we have our, our Thanksgiving services, we get to hear some of those testimonies. But I'm here to tell you right now, whatever you're going through, whatever battle you're facing, whatever, whatever enemy has walked its way into your life and risen its ugly head, one of the best things you can do is take a a, 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 a walk back to an Ebenezer stone that's been erected in your life and say if God has helped me then God can help me now and then just let your faith be built up that if God can help me then and if God is doing it now then no matter what comes my way God will be there too I wonder if we could close our eyes and I'm going to open these altars I wonder if you could just kind of as you get out of your seats in the physical, I wonder if you could walk to, a, to this front, around this front, and let it be a symbolic uh, a, a journey of you walking to some past Ebenezer stones that God has erected in your life. And I want you to take a look at what God has done for you. And I want you to put up your present circumstances 
And I want you to let God touch you. Would you come in Jesus' name?